When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. My guest today on Stories Connect People podcast is one that will truly touch your heart. Julie Farmer is an angel. She has helped hundreds of people change their life. I mean, completely change their life. She found her calling 10 years ago when she began helping immigrants with their journey to becoming an American citizen. You will also hear from a very special guest. His name is Mark. Mark was an immigrant from Africa. He came to the U.S. at the age of 25 with a green card. Mark couldn't speak a word of English, had no money, zero resources, was homeless for weeks, and while he was working two jobs part-time trying to save money, he was waiting until his co-workers left at night so he could climb into the dumpster to get food. But one day, he met an angel. Her name was Julie Farmer. Hear how Julie and her whole family welcomed Mark into their life and supported his journey as he learned to speak English, learned to drive, got his citizenship, and went on to college to become a registered nurse. He now works as a registered nurse in the ICU at Emory Hospital. Let's hear from Julie and from Mark. Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. Julie, hi. Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Polly? Um, I am so glad that you joined me on the podcast. And the way that we connected was um, your husband, Ron Farmer, uh, and I worked together um, years ago. And it's probably been, I don't know, four four or five years since we even talked, but he saw the podcast on on LinkedIn that I posted and really enjoyed it and said, I think you might be interested in my wife, Julie's story and the work that she's doing to help um, people get their citizenship. And so he was so right. And so I am so glad that we connected today. My pleasure. We really enjoyed listening to your podcast on Father's Day. And I enjoyed it so much. I said to Ron, I'm all in. Great. Well, the work that you're doing is just um, fascinating. And um, you are making such a difference in the lives of the people that you are helping. And so I can't wait to dig into that story with you. But why don't we start by you just tell me a little bit about you and about your background, maybe where you grew up and, and, um, you know, some of the early years stuff for you. Sure. Well, I grew up in a small town outside of Boston. And lived there until I was, um, oh, when I went off to college. 
And then I did it, was always interested in different cultures, different languages, was always attracted by the French language. I studied French and then was lucky enough to go to Paris and do a junior year abroad. And that's when it really opened up a lot of horizons for me. I started meeting people from other countries and I just became really inspired about learning about different cultures. I had never really traveled before and I ended up marrying a a Frenchman. Did you meet him while you were there? I did. I did. Yes. (laughs) How interesting. (laughs) And I was um, going back and forth to um, Paris through work. Uh, I had a corporate job for many years. I learned to speak fluent French. And I just always maintained this great interest in different cultures, different languages. I've traveled, I wouldn't say extensively, but I've traveled a lot. So it's always been something that was of interest to me, which kind of brought me to where I am today. That's great. I mean, when I, like, I never experienced anything like that when I was growing up. And really, it wasn't until I was at Bell South and I was on an assignment in Miami for a few months. And that was, you know, several years into my career. And it just completely changed, um, you know, my view because I had never really been exposed to a lot of diversity or to a lot of different um, cultures. I mean, pretty, pretty limited. And so um, I can imagine that your study abroad experience just really opened up the world for you. And that that's great to hear. My stepdaughter is going to be studying in London now in the spring. It had to be pushed off, but um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that she is going to experience more of the world and it's going to be great for her to be able to do that. So um, I'm sure that is, is such a good foundation for you. Yeah, it was a life changing experience for me and it will be for your stepdaughter too, because you grow up in a kind of a little bubble and then you really see the world and yourself in a different way when you do travel. So um, starting with your um, story about, you know, how you uh, got involved, maybe what was your career um, first that led to you uh, getting involved with helping the immigrants and, um, you know, what some of the, maybe just how you started in that? Well, um, finished raising, had a corporate job, then sort of semi-retired for a while, raised two children. And then when they left the nest, I was sort of faced with, okay, well, you know, that movie Fried Green Tomatoes, uh, I'm too old to be young. I'm too young to be old. <laughs> Funny, I remember seeing that from the movie. Yeah, it was a Kathy Bates line. Yeah. And I just said, you know, what do I, what do I want to do for the next 30 years of my life? You know, God willing, I have good health and, you know, too much is given, much is ex- uh, expected. And I had taught ESL. When I was in college uh, for money, um, a starving student and Catholic Charities was looking for ESL teachers. So I said, you know, this might be a good way for me to give back. And of course, I would get to meet people from different countries and different cultures. So I started doing that. But my real love was um, sort of politics and history. I'd always studied it. And they were looking for citizenship teachers. And that was just like heaven sent. It was just, I was, I said to Ron, I was born to do this. So I just started this whole journey. And today I run a citizenship program in a Spanish mission church. That's so awesome. So there is a Spanish mission church in Lilburn called Mission Católica, and it's almost exclusively Latino. 
um, Mexican, Central American, South American, a lot of Venezuelans now because of what's going on in Venezuela. Anyway, so Catholic Charities gets a grant from them to teach English and citizenship. So I run a 14-week class that um, allows me to help um, students um, who have a green card, um, and they're refugees too. I've had refugees and um, people with green cards, but they have to be here legally. And um, I run a 14-week program, and we do everything from um, teach them. Actually, some of it is literacy work because a lot of them have left school in the second or the third grade. They had to for economic reasons to support their families. And they're terrified because they're not sure they can um, pass a literacy test. So when you take the test to become a citizen, you have to obviously pass a literacy test. You have to show good moral character. They'll do a complete criminal background check on you. There are 100 civics questions that they have to learn. And it's very daunting for someone who is not an English speaker, who's never lived in, the, haven't lived in this country their entire life. And I would venture to say that even the civics questions are questions that your average American could not answer because you learned them in middle school and high school and forgot them. That's right. I mean, I, I bet if you ask a couple of questions, I would stumble over them. Right. But but you're right. I mean, we learn this stuff um, so early yeah. in our lives and, and completely take it for granted that we know this. Right. And if I asked you, you know, uh, what is checks and balances or how does a bill become a law? Or what is a secession for the president if the vice president dies, if the president dies, who's third in line? I mean, do you remember all that? I mean, a lot of people don't. So they're pretty terrified by the whole process. And the whole thought of, you know, being in front of an immigration officer, which is an authority figure. So it's a very, very, very long journey. And they don't have means to get lawyers. So we have pro bono lawyers that come in and help them with their application. We can help them to get a, um, a waiver because the application fee is very expensive. It's currently $725. It's going up to more to about around $1,200 soon. And that's a lot. And I can imagine, I mean, that's a lot of money for any of us. I can imagine yeah. for these folks that work so hard and probably have, you know, meager wages. For some, it's, it's, um, it's a, a deal breaker for them because they don't have the money, but they don't know about the waiver. So we show them how to use the waiver. It's just a way to help them literally achieve their dream of citizenship and transform their lives. Because I mean, they're the people that are really helping make America great. They come here with great dreams for their family and they want the best for their children. Many of them work two or three jobs. They support families back in their host countries and all they want is it's just a piece of the American pie, the dream. And so we help them get there, and it's very rewarding. That is just incredible work. So how many languages do you speak? Well, my French is fluent. I speak English. Um, I have a working knowledge of Italian, Spanish. I know some Arabic. I know some Turkish. What What are most of the – is it mostly um, Spanish that you are um, – that you – Spanish-speaking um, people that you're – Yes, they are almost exclusively Latinos, but um, I'm French speaking, so I've got a pretty um, good West African group that I deal with too, because most of West Africa is Francophone, part of the French, uh, if you call it colonization. So they speak French. So, and I've had some West Indians, some Haitians, so they're from all over, uh, but mostly Latino, yeah, mostly Spanish. So you've been doing this for how long? 
Uh, 10 years. And do you keep track of the number of people that you've helped? I have a list. It's over 200. That's incredible. 200? Very proud to say. Yep, yep. And they don't always make it the first time. Um, If you don't pass it the first time, they give you 30 days to come back and take the test again. And I can honestly say I've never had anybody um, not get through. So it's a source of great pride for me. Oh, well, I can imagine. So over the 10 years, have you seen changes in in terms of just, you know, the citizenship um, uh, process or the, the obstacles? Well, I would say the biggest change came after 9-11, well before my time. It used to be a fairly easy process, but since then, it has become quite rigorous And you have to be strictly vetted. Like I said, they do a background check on you. You have to have a green card. You have to be here legally. They've made the the test much more difficult. The literacy test is going to become even more difficult. Um, They, um, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's not easy. And there's going to be new restrictions on income levels, um, how much money you make, um, if you have food stamps, for example, you can't apply for a green card. Um, and all these things change depending on who's in the White House. But I would say, yes, it has become increasingly more difficult. And um, it's um, it's very overwhelming, and there's a lot of anxiety involved. Um, and I have a couple of stories I can tell you just to show you how difficult um, the journey can be for some students. Um, I have two stories I, uh, I want to share. I have many, but these two I think would be very interesting to your listeners. Um, as I said, I work in a, a Spanish mission church and on registration, it's almost exclusively Latino and we were doing registration and it's almost like a lottery. You, you get there and you get a number and it's very, very hard to get a seat in the class because we have to close it at 30. We just don't have, um, uh, the resources to take more than that per class. So I get into registration and there's this tall, beautiful African, she looked like an African queen woman standing and she got there really early and she got one of the um, single digit numbers for registration. And I approached her and I said, um, um, uh, I introduced myself. She's Nigerian. And as you know, people in Nigeria speak English and she seemed very educated, very well-spoken. And I said, do you really want to be in this class? Because you know, you're English speaking, and this might be very boring for you because most all these students are Latino and um, English is their second language, and it might be a little slow for you. And if you like, I can tutor you privately and get you ready for the test, but do you really want this spot? Um, because it's really a class for non-English speakers. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I need to be in this class. Um, I'll tell you my story. So she... Um, was born in Nigeria, and she was a member of a polygamist family. Um, there's polygamy in uh, all parts of Africa. She was the oldest of at least 20 children and counting. Her mother uh, was a single mom, had her out of wedlock, and then the father eventually, the biological dad, took her in, and he never sent her to school. And so for the 20-odd years that she was living under his roof, She was the cook. She was the nanny. And um, it was a very, very difficult childhood. She shared some things with me, but it was very, very difficult. So she never learned to read and write. She never, ever, ever went to school. I mean, can you just imagine like never, ever going to school? I cannot imagine 
I just cannot imagine that. And to speak to her, she speaks English the way you and I do. I mean, just looking in her eyes, you could see her intellect, her potential. So she ended up um, marrying a lovely um, Nigerian man who had a green card. And um, he brought her petition, brought her to the United States. She had five children, two sets of twins, no fertility drugs. It's amazing. Five, five children in, a, in quick succession. All of them, I don't know if you know about Nigerian culture, but they're very, very focused on education. And there's an old saying in Nigeria, either four things, you're either a doctor, you're an engineer, um, or a lawyer, or a failure. No. So they're, it's a joke. But they're very, very big on education. And she um, valued it very much. All her children were straight-A students. They're in the Hope, going to college on Hope Scholarship. But she was illiterate, and she wanted to um, become a citizen. And she said, I need um, to become a citizen, obviously, and um, because everyone in my family is but me. But I can't pass the literacy test. And I paused, and I said, well, how did you get a driver's license? She said, well, my daughter went with me, and she read the questions to me. She was very good at memorizing um, I wouldn't say a photograph. Yeah, photographic memory. Her daughter would read her, um, or audio memory, would read her the question she memorized it, which was important to the story later. So I said, well, how did you, how do you drive? And she says, well, I can read some sight words to read signs, and I use landmarks, but other than that, I can't read or write. So I said, well, all right, I'll let you come into the class, um, but we need to think about a literacy program for you. But I will not call on you. I will not ask you to read. I will not ask you to come up to the board to write. She said, okay, that's fine, but know that I've already memorized all 100 civics questions. I know the answer to all of them. I said, okay. So I was talking to one of my coworkers later, and um, I said to her, what am I going to do with this woman? I mean, I need to get a literacy teacher for her. She absolutely um, can pass the test, but do you have any suggestions? I need to find a program. And she said, Julie, what are you talking about? She said, I'm a retired kindergarten teacher. She said, you just tell her to come to, to class an hour early every week. It was twice a week, actually. And I will teach her how to read and write. And I said, oh, my God, that's like a gift. So I went and told her, and she started to weep. She said, oh, you, you have no idea. I've prayed for someone to help me. So she very quietly would sit in the back of the room, and I never called on her. And I would say after about six or seven weeks, the class ended, all the students filed out and she came up to the, to the, to the front of the room and she said, I need to show you something. And she took a marker and she started writing on the whiteboard. George Washington was the first president of the United States. <laughs> the president lives. Those are the sentences you actually need to be able to write for. And I just fell into her arms. I just started sobbing. I couldn't believe it. She would go home every night and write these sentences over and over and to the by the end of the class the 14 week class she was reading by the at the second grade level she was one of my star students and she ended up able to give dictations to some of the other students who were struggling and she learned how to read and write and she ended up um getting her citizenship um she had a special um ceremony Kasim Reed was the mayor at the time and she went to the state capitol and of course, I was there and the woman who taught her how to read and write. And she has her own little um, African hair braiding shop now. And we showed her how to, you know, set up the books for her billing. And she's a real success story. 
And I could tell you so many stories about people like this who just, it's life changing. And she's a voracious reader now. She loves to read. It's a very happy ending. You are a life changer. She did all the work. I feel like I was a catalyst. I was the person, you know, when, what is it they say? When the, the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's kind of what happened. She was ready and I was there and she was highly motivated. So it was actually an honor to help her. And do you stay in touch with her? I do, yeah. Well, yeah. She, she sounds amazing. Yeah, it's a, I stay in touch with a lot of my students. They become extended family members because it's something that's so intimate and so personal that you share with them. And I, I liken it to like working in a new maternity ward. It's like, it's like a new life. It's a new a baby, if you will, because they literally um, have a new life when they become a citizen and they can vote. They can get good government jobs um, and improve their standard of living. And then also for their children, you know, for, so they can do better than they did. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, you know, what is so obviously they get, you know, they, they get their citizenship. And so it's such a change in their life. But how does that trickle down for their family? Well, first of all, they can never be deported, which is important. Um, very important. Yes, it's very important. They can petition for other family members if they want. Um, they can get better jobs. Um, and that's really important. Um, their children, most of their children are born in this country. So they have all the rights and privileges that you and I have, but for some that don't, um, they will petition or, um, I've had students, um, where they have spouses in their home country and they can petition for them and they can, we can reunite families and bring, uh, spouses and children together. Um, and that's, that's very important as well. And they all come here legally. None of this, they're not undocumented. They're all here legally. I mean, could some of them be here for years before they get the confidence to yes. to start the program? And you have to see a complete transformation of these folks. I mean, just like you were talking about um, the Nigerian lady. A lot of them um, are just terrified, number one. Um, and they don't have the confidence. And a lot of it is just not knowing where to go or what to do. It's just resources. Like they just don't know. It's overwhelming. I mean, it would be like asking you to do your taxes at 1040 when you're 10 years old. It's just like, it, it, it's not going to happen. It's just way too overwhelming. And government forms are not easy to understand. And even Very complicated. I mean, even for those of us that are educated, it's sometimes so difficult to understand. Right. So um, here's an example. Have you ever not paid federal or local taxes? Is it yes or is it no? <laughs> it's kind of like a double negative. And even for an English speaker, you have to think. Mm. So anyway, that's just an example. Um, some of the questions. Anyway, it's, it's a lot more involved than that. But I'm just saying some of the wording on the form. So we have to demystify that. But a lot of them, it's um, they don't think they can do it. They don't think their English is good enough. And I tell them, no, I mean, you don't have to, you know, be able to have to read Cervantes. You need to have a functional conversation and I will help you. I, I actually teach to the test, you know, what do you need to know to pass the literacy test? And I will role play with them and I'll do it over and over again. A lot of, like in all humans, the fear is the unknown. If you don't know what's going to happen, it can be very frightening. But I said, I promise you, I will tell you exactly what is going to happen more or less. 
when the minute you walk in the door. So you will, it's like a role that you're rehearsing for. So that gives you confidence when you know what's going to happen. If they ask you this, you say that and what documents you need to bring. Um, so like, what are some of the questions they're asked? Your, your taxes. They'll ask you if you've been in a terrorist organization, are you a communist or are you a drunkard? Have you ever been arrested? Have you ever, um, been, um, deported? And I mean, there's, it's a 20 page application and they ask you every single question. And then they'll ask you, well, do you swear loyalty to the, to the constitution and will you uphold the laws? And will, are you willing to perform, um, 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 works of, uh, non-combatant services? Okay. A non-combatant service. You have to think about that for a second. And then they can ask you, what does it mean? What is a non-combatant service? So they have to understand vocabulary terms. Well, that would mean if we're at war, you would perform a service that required no arms. Um, they'll ask you, um, have you ever been involved in genocide? And they'll ask you to define what does the word genocide mean? And, you know, if you're not an English speaker, these are, and they might not even know what the word is in their own language. So it's a huge education process. And, you know, immigration officers are like police and human beings. Some are nice and some are not so nice. And so, um, it can be a very, very difficult experience for them. So, um, they're frankly terrified. So what we do is just, um, say, this is what's going to happen. And if they ask you this question, here's how you answer it. Um, of course, never, ever, ever lie. Um, I had, I've had students who've had their drove without a license cause they couldn't get a license and, um, they were arrested and you have to tell, tell them because all of that stuff is in the computer, tell them everything that's happened to you. And there's a lot of personal information about them that they can ask about, um, it's um, it's a very personal experience for them too. Um, I can imagine that they're just terrified. They are, and if they and imagine if literally your basically your future is in the hands of this one immigration officer. Um, yes, it, they're very vulnerable, very vulnerable. But we get them through it, and it's the most exhilarating experience. And they're so happy as soon as they um, become naturalized. The League of Women Voters are there and they register them the vote. That's another thing that's kind oh. of overwhelming. And they get voter registration and then they vote. They vote. And that's really part of the American dream, too. So people talk about, you know, bringing their work home. And, you know, sometimes it's you know, so stressful and everything. I mean, this has to be such a joy, a, a joy based journey for you. And the work that you are doing, um, how does it impact your life and just maybe maybe your view of the world? It's really at this stage in my life, it has been such a gift because I wanted to have a deeper meaning to my life um, in my quote unquote retirement where I really, like I said before, too much is given, much is expected. Um, I haven't had these challenges in my life, thank God, and not because I'm more deserving. It's just... Um, I was lucky to be born in this zip code, I guess, and to help others um, achieve their dreams. Um, and they'll say to me, oh, Miss Julie, you are the angel. I said, no, no, you don't understand. This is an even exchange. I get as much joy, probably more joy um, than some of you just to see you achieve your goal. So it's been given my life a much deeper meaning. And yes, you see, and I always say, these are the invisible people that you see that are cutting your grass and um, 
you know, scrubbing your toilets, it maybe people don't take the time to get to know that they're just like everyone else. They love their families. They want their children to do well. And they're really eager to work hard and become part of this American, I don't know, mosaic. And to have to be part of their lives, it's just been a real honor and a privilege for me. In my intro to my podcast, and it's on my website, I say your past um, doesn't have to define you. It's part of who you are. And I mean, what a um, how true is that, that it shapes their past, shapes them, but doesn't have to define them. And um, it, it's incredible the work that you're doing to help give them really a, a completely new, a completely different life. It's such a gift. Um, so you said you had a second story. Tell us about that. I was doing registration. Um, a, a very tall African man came in. He had a brochure in his hand. Someone told him about our program. And he introduced himself. He was from, he was called Muhammad. He was from the Sudan. And he began to tell me his story, um, how he had uh, applied for citizenship, but he wasn't nearly ready. He had found a pro bono lawyer. He was a refugee and he needed to get ready for the uh, test. And I said, well, tell me your story. So there was a civil war in the Sudan for many, many years. And he was, um, it was a tribal war. And um, he was an uneducated farmer from Khartoum. He barely knew Arabic, devout Muslim, family man. His whole family um, um, ended up in a refugee camp in Chad next door to Sudan. It was, um, it was a genocide. I mean, and this had gone on for many, many years. In fact, the civil war in Sudan has just finally ended now. And he was in this refugee camp for, I think, about eight years. He had three children there. One of them died in the camp. And he said to his wife one day, he said, I have to leave. I don't see any future for us. So he went by foot from, and if you look at a map, from Chad, and he made it all the way up to Libya. He's Arabic speaking. And though there was a war going on in Libya, and he said, and that was a very, very bad situation. Then he managed, he didn't tell me how, he made it to Tunisia and he found Catholic charities there. And they took him in as a refugee and he was sponsored and came to this country, I think it was six years ago. And he had refugee status. They gave him a green card. And he worked 12-hour shifts every day at a mattress factory, making mattresses. Mm-hmm. His English was not good. He could barely write Arabic because he wasn't educated. Um, and um, he uh, came to the class. And his, his, his literacy was really poor. He could speak pretty well. So I said to the class, and I said, look, here's an example for all of you. You know, at least you know the Roman alphabet. He doesn't even know the Roman alphabet. We need to adopt him as one of our special family members, and we're all going to work with him individually to help him get ready. And I want to call him a, a mascot. That's a pejorative term. But they took him in as a special, special family member, and they all would work with him and help him with his writing. And we managed to get him to the level where he could write um, uh, the literacy sentences, and we we know what the literacy sentences are. So he had to memorize some, but he learned them. And um, he went out and bought his first suit because I say you have to go in there looking sharp, uh, very dignified because first impressions are lasting. He went on on his interview, 
and he passed the first go round. When he came out, I mean, he started to cry. He was so so happy. So best part is his sons are in this refugee camp and they have known nothing but a life in a refugee camp. But one of our lawyers said, um, who does pro bono work said, I will do the petition for all three of his sons for free. And I will get his sons out of the refugee camp in the Sudan and bring them to the U S. And so are his children here now? They're still working on it. They're, the problem is they're from a, in a Muslim country and they're Muslim, so it's complicated. So what's the last step um, for them when they pass? Do they, they take their oath of allegiance? Is, is that right? They do. They go and they take the test and then they'll get a letter about two weeks later and they will schedule an interview and they'll go into a, either a courtroom or a, a courthouse. Um, sometimes they'll do it in a special venue. They've even done it um, um um, at the TED, uh, back in the day anyway, and they will take an oath of allegiance and they will then get a certificate of nat- uh, naturalization, which they will take to, um, the post office to get a passport. And then they become a citizen and they register to vote as well. It's a very emotional ceremony too. Very emotional. I can imagine. Do you ever go to any of these? Oh, I go to all of them and it's, I cry every time because I encourage everyone to go. I mean, it's open to the public. You can be a friend or a family. Um, um, it's, um, it's in Tucker, the USCIS building, if anyone's ever interested. And it's a very emotional, um, ceremony because you look across the sea of, there's about a hundred people and, you know, everybody has a story. They all had their struggle. It's like a novel, you know, what did you need to go through to get here? And um, it's very humbling. It's very humbling. Well, you are doing such fantastic work in changing the lives of people. Uh, What's next for you? Continue to do this. Anything else? Yes, I I will do this until they tell me I can't do it anymore. Uh, The challenge now is to try to do an online um, learning platform because of COVID. And that's problematic. Most of my students don't have computers. And just the kind of the work I do, I'm part, sort of a social worker too. It's a, I don't know, I don't know if it'd be too sterile to do it over a computer, but um, I am very passionate and very committed and I will do this as long as I can. Maybe learn another language. I don't know. Might be fun. Well, you are um, such a beautiful soul and just giving um, all of yourself to make the lives of others better. Um, It's just uh, incredible work that you're doing. Let's take a few minutes to hear from Mark. Mark is the gentleman that I mentioned in my introduction that came from Africa with absolutely no resources, and he is today a nurse in the ICU at Emory Hospital. His story is amazing. You will hear how he gives credit to Julie for completely changing his life. I came here in, uh, in 2011, and quite frankly, I came here with uh, no resources. I was 25 years old, so I came here with zero dollars. I had to figure out a place to stay, so I met these, uh, these people from uh, from Africa here, So and... Uh, they were able to let me stay at the place for a few days. There's a there's a publisher at Prado, so the husband uh, helped me put up put some application down there. 
So he drove me down there, had me pull application in, but he just can't take me back to his house. And I was spending the night uh, on this uh, uh, this middle seating area in front of Publix. I was staying there the night, and the security guard approached me and tried to figure out why I'm spending the night. Um, at the time, I couldn't speak a word of English, so he used his phone as a translator to understand the grammar my story. So, long story short, I was down, I was staying in front of public for about three weeks or so, and until the officer was able to take me, sometimes he took me to his house to spend the night and take me back there. At one point, those places, and on part of where I put the application in, he was able to talk to some of them so they can help me out a little bit. So that's how I got my first job at uh, Panda Express restaurant. So some of them, one of them said, okay, I can come stay at the place. However, it was, an, it was one bedroom apartment. And it was already 13 people living in there. So I said, I'm fine with it, anything. So I just have to share a personal living room with them. So I said, okay. So I took the, uh, that was my the first place I was living in. So. That's when my when my journey with journey uh, with Julie actually started because I spoke to the Mexican people. I said, "Listen, I want to learn English. I don't I don't understand your language. I don't even speak English either. So if you guys know anywhere I can go to learn English, I would love to try." So that's when they guided me. They guided me to go to the Catholic church. They walked me to the church in in order to give me the schedule, the classic schedule. And the instructor of the class was Julie, was Miss Mrs. Julie Farmer. After the class, I went. I went to her house. Like, I got here a couple months ago. I don't know a word of English. I'm trying to find my way. I, I, my way out of here. I need. I don't know where to go and where to start from. Um, I'm a medical student. I was in med. Uh, I was in med school five, for five years prior to coming here. So. You're not legal. I said, yeah, I'm here. I'm legal. I have social security. I showed her the document. She couldn't believe her eyes. She sat down. She's like, she was like, what are you doing here? Do you know what you're holding in your hand? I said, I just have the document. I don't know the meaning of it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just want to go back to school. And because I came here with no money and... I was working with the, those I was working with at Pender Space, they helped me find, get another job as a dishwasher also. So when I spoke to her, she said, okay, let me get some details and we'll see what we can do. But I cannot do anything without talking to my husband. I got a phone call from her, because I, I shared my number with her. My husband and my children would like to meet you and we can see what we can do from there. So they came, they came and got me on their way to church. And I went to church with them. They're Catholic. I'm Catholic as well. So and after church, they took me to the house. They didn't even know, they didn't even know me from nowhere, but they took me to the house, uh, made boyfriends, and then we sat down and talked. So her husband did not speak a word of French either. So his wife was able to, to be the interpreter between me and her family. So I share my uh, my story where I was coming from, why I got here, uh, how did I get to the application process, everything. And I shared that with them. So why will you leave your school after five years? You only have two more years to go to become a doctor. I said yes, but they told me once I get here, I will keep going. I don't have to start over. 
And that also came out not true because the assessment credential was coming from a francophone system is not valid here. The only thing that's valid here was my high school diploma. Then I both started crying. I didn't know none of those. But um, yeah, and uh, they they told me, okay, you know what? You sound like a good person. You have good good heart and stuff like that. So we're going to see what we can do to help and support you. So quite frankly, I've been calling them mom and dad since then until today's day. And, and I will keep doing that until the day I die. Because they were everything I was never dreamed to have when I came here. Because they were able to help me leave the apartment with uh, 13 people in it and move to a three-bedroom apartment with uh, a couple. And I, will, we share, I have my own home at this point. And they helped me through learning how to drive. Uh, after I finished the, the free ESL classes from uh, mom organization, from Julie, from uh, Julie's organization, she helped me find a more professional English school that she actually paid out of her own pocket so I can go to it and better my English skills. And after that, she took upon herself and uh, find this uh, CNA, a nurse assistant school for me to start. And which also she paid out, she paid out of her pocket. They paid her, her husband paid out of the pocket to help me go through. So, so I started working as a CNA in the cardiac unit at uh, Emory Hospital. And after CNA, I went back for phlebotomy. I went back for EKG, uh, electrocardiograph uh, uh, certificate, all those certificates. And after all those three, I went back to uh, a nursing school uh, to become a uh, to become a registered nurse, which I am today. Wow. So the first call, the call I even used to uh, to pass my my uh, driving test was the call. Um, the first apartment that I ever rented on my own over here was rented through them. And so they've been there since day one. So. Uh, after uh, close to four years and a half, she called me. Okay, it's time. It's time. We cannot wait. You have to. We have to do the application for your citizenship. I said, Mom, I don't have money for that right now. I don't know what to do. She said, So let's just put the application in and we'll see what we can do. They put. We put the application uh, for the, for citizenship in, in it. It took us about six to up to eight months for us to get a return and have a schedule. So the whole time. Uh, I have. Um, I was having additional classes with her twice a week about uh, American history, the content of you know those questions that can be asked when you go for the citizenship interview. Uh, How proud of a moment was it for you when you got your citizenship? It was. It was seriously a relief. I was very very happy about that. It's not just. And paperwork it changes everything in your you know in your mindset but when you start living the reality of you know the american uh it changes a lot of things in your mindset because this is the country that it was not just a document is a way of living and i was really proud of that oh i can imagine well how important has julie been in your life she's uh, <laughs> You see how important has Julie been in my life. I would say how important will she ever, will she always be in my life. She's 
today, okay, let me put it this way. Today, I'm I'm father. I father. I have a daughter, a two year old daughter today. And let, let me just tell you, I like, it was so bad to the point where these uh, uh, restaurant penis press uh, be, uh, behind public where I was uh, I was staying at. I was you know spending my NASA for about three four weeks. This penis press. They don't let the employees take any food home, any leftover home. So they dump all the food in the trash bag and trash in the, in the dumpsters outside. And I was waiting for them to get off work at 10.30, 11 o'clock at night to go drop in that dumpster to get food to be able to eat and hold something back so I can eat the next day. That's how bad it was. They, they didn't know me from, from nowhere. I was getting groceries. I was getting... Sheets, I was getting covers, I was getting clothes. Um, every time they have to go on vacation, they make sure I come with them. Every time they have uh, parties at home, as far as uh, 4th of July, Christmas, any sort of holidays, they, I cannot put in the world. These people have been in my life, I cannot put in the world. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? I think it's important for people to know that we all come from somewhere else and we've all been through this journey, whether it was one generation ago or in my case, six generations ago from Ireland, we all have the same story. We all came here for a better life and we all have gifts that we want to contribute to this great country. They are making America great, just like people who have been here for 200 years. I think this is so powerful what you're saying. The work that you're doing is so, like I said, meaningful and life-changing. Well, thank you. It's been a gift for me. And just want to tell your listeners, if you know anyone who wants to become a citizen, who has a green card, but doesn't know where to go, doesn't know what to do, and doesn't have the means or the resources to hire an immigration uh, attorney, please have them go on the Catholic Charities website and we will take care of them. That's great. If anyone's interested in reaching out to you, um, do you have a way to contact you? If you want to contact me, go onto the Catholic Charities um, website uh, to um, citizenship and you'll find me, Julie Farmer. Well, Julie Farmer, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today and talk about all that you're doing to help others um, find their way to being um, an American citizen and, and finding really the American dream. I appreciate you sharing your story and the story of others with our listeners on Stories Connect People podcast. It's been great having you today. Thank you so much, Polly. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.